0: Well, I want to extend my welcome uh, to you and uh, my thanks to you for carving out time to be a part of this, Uh, and also thank uh, Dr. Ewart and the Center for Pastoral Leadership and Preaching for making things like this possible. Uh, This authenticity series that uh, we we record videos on, conversations like this, is intended to be a help and encouragement. Uh, to pastors and church staff, church leaders, uh, just by taking an honest look at some uh, different kinds of things, and uh, we've, you know, we've recorded conversations like this about very practical things like the Lord's Supper and baptism, and just all kinds of things. So tonight, uh, we're going to have the opportunity uh, to to think about something related to the preaching event. Uh, that is so incredibly important, and that is how how do we mobilize a congregation uh, to take the gospel to the uh, to 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 the nations uh, through the preaching event. Uh, acknowledge that there's, there's a lot of other stuff that goes into that in local church ministry, but uh, uh, the preaching event being the central thing uh, that the pastor does and also something that is uh, so vital and so crucial for the advancement of the gospel through the local church plays a key part in that. And uh, that's why it is an incredible privilege uh, for me to uh, have these two brothers uh, with us uh, tonight. Uh, to my immediate left, Dr. Tony Morita, uh, who serves on our faculty here and teaches preaching, uh, also the pastor of Imago Day Church here in the Raleigh-Durham area, uh, has pastored uh, two other churches prior to that in uh, in Louisiana and Mississippi. Uh, And then on my far left, Dr. David Platt, uh, who serves as the President of the International Mission Board, uh, formerly the pastor of the Church of Brook Hills in Birmingham, uh, Alabama. Um, A lot of you know I've had relationships with these guys for a long time, and uh, this has just been just a really, really uh, treat uh, for me to have them back together and and to be together with them. So, guys, thank you. Thank you so much for, for taking the time. Uh, to do this, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to, you know, just uh, have some some questions that I'm going to kind of lead these guys in, throw out to them, let them respond. They're they're the experts on this subject tonight, uh, and I want you to be able to hear their uh, their hearts, uh, both from present as well as as past experience. Uh, leading churches, uh, both of you brothers have, uh, have pastored or are pastoring churches that I, I think, are in the top five uh, of churches in our Southern Baptist Convention as far as sending. Uh, people out of your churches to the mission field and that says something it says something about uh, what we have to to learn from you brothers and so uh, very excited you know to to hear that and grateful for the leadership grateful for god's grace uh, in your lives as as pastors so let, let's jump into this um, i'm going to start it at, at just a little bit of an awkward place it's kind of a, a personal confession Um, You know, I've had the privilege of having both of you guys as students, um, you know, many years ago. Uh, And, uh, you know, I I get asked about you a lot and get asked about, you know, my relationship with you and our our journey together. Uh, But one thing when I look back on that, you know, is that, you know, one area that I feel like, and I tell people this a lot that i didn 't do a good job of as a as a professor early on didn 't do a good job of with you guys because it wasn 't a it wasn 't something that was a, a strong point for me was this area of a heartbeat for global missions in fact, I tell people all the time uh, you know you you guys are are part of a group that mentored me you know in in really opening my eyes to the responsibility that we have. As pastors, and I'll ever, I'll forever be grateful for that, and and so it it it, it causes me to think, uh, you know, just w- what what did God do, and you know, in your lives along the way, that ignited uh, a heart uh, for the nations? How you know, how did He open your eyes to that? What were the factors? Books you read, people you encountered, experiences you had. Uh, tell us just a little bit about your journeys, you know, your personal testimony that led you to the point of being pastors who really wanted to see people mobilized uh, for the nations. Uh, David, I'll you know, start with you, uh, pastoring the Church of Brook Hills, um, you know, just a, a wonderful mission-sending church, but now you leading us as a denomination and, and mobilizing churches to do that. Tell us a little bit about your journey. Uh,
1: glad to one uh, just one comment though on your introduction uh, I'm not an expert in anything so I just want to make sure that's clear so I, I you, don't
0: you played handbells a long time ago I, I I didn't think that would come up tonight but I mean it's true right it's, uh, are,
1: are you are you not supportive of traditional Southern Baptist worship am all over it I'm I just uh,
0: acknowledging the fact that you're an expert in Baptist. is that a handbell
1: I don't know what that is. Uh, Oh, it's a camera. Oh, okay. Uh, Yeah. So, anyway, I don't know. I mean, we're five minutes in. How do we get to handbells? Like, I was... So... (laughs) Um, All right, back to the nations. Uh, So, um, by God's grace, I would say, and and it's interesting, even the way you were sharing that, like, uh, you not having a part in, or you feeling like you didn't do that in our lives, Uh, I would say the opposite. So the way I would describe uh, my journey would be God, by His grace, creating this collision that I I would describe as collision between the Word and the world. So the Word, um, I remember, so this is before I went to seminary, but I remember exactly where I was sitting in a uh, uh, college conference uh, and a seminar where Jeff Lewis, who teaches out at Cal Baptist University, uh, with a small group of people, just walked from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation, and uh, which, by the way, I brought my Bible up here. Did you, you guys don't I've think I mean, I've uh, got mine right here. <laughs> so uh, right here. anyway, uh, so uh, I, mean, I thought we were talking about preaching, maybe. Memorize. Uh, oh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and, and you didn't use it in chapel no. today, so I didn't. <laughs>
2: <laughs> It's gonna be one of those. Panels, Whoa, so sorry. Whoa. I better loosen up. A bit. This is
1: recorded. Wow, Okay. So uh, anyway, yeah, that's good. That's good. So I remember where I was sitting when Jeff Lewis walked from Genesis to Revelation and just showed God's passion for His glory in all nations, all over Scripture. That this is the driving passion, purpose of God in Scripture. He wants His name. Known, He wants His glory enjoyed by all the peoples of the earth. And uh, I remember just sitting there, the, the seminar ended, everybody got up and walked out, and I'm just sitting there with my jaw on the ground, in a sense, just said, this changes everything. I mean, it was, it was the first time I saw in the Word... God's passion for his glory in all nations in that way. And, uh, and so from there, uh, other influences along those lines would be uh, John Piper, Let the Nations Be Glad. uh was a uh, hugely influential book and in, in just deepening that understanding. But then even coming to seminary and seeing uh, God's word and learning to study the Bible in a preaching class and gaining a, a whole new depth of respect for the authority of God's Word, all of that was just been drilled into my heart in a, in a wonderfully gracious way. And then, so then the collision came when I then went on one particular short-term mission trip, which I'd be the first to say I don't think this was the most healthy short-term mission trip, um, because I don't think the work we were doing on the ground was... Altogether helpful and tied into a long-term disciple-making process there. But that's another story. But the Lord used that time in uh, a very impoverished setting to bring those seeds from the Word to life in a whole new way. This is one of the reasons I'm a big believer in short-term missions when it's done right. Is I think it has a huge impact on the hearts and minds of those who go. And the Lord just opened my eyes and I was reading uh Jim Elliott's biography at that point in the shadow of the Almighty, which that will mess you up. And I uh, I so I remember getting on the plane after that trip and again it was one of those I remember where I was sitting journaling on that plane, again one of those jaw on the ground kind of moments where I realized, okay, it's not just here, like this has got to affect my life and the world. My I've got to live and lead for the Spread of God's glory among the nations. Like, wherever I live, so I was in New Orleans at the time. As long as I'm in New Orleans, it's living in New Orleans for the spread of the glory of God among the nations. And uh, so that, I'd say that's where that collision came to a head. And then it just, it just grew on both sides. The more I spent time in the Word seeing that, and the more I spent time in the world seeing needs in the world, then that collision just cultivated deeper passion, drive. To live and lead for the sake of the nations.
0: I, I, and I, I don't know that this was the same trip, but I can remember sitting on a curb uh, with you in Honduras, you know, a, uh, and and uh, just looking, uh, you know, at, at that part of the city. And um, I, I remember, you know, just very vividly hearing you articulate some of what God was doing in your heart. Uh, in in just uh, burdening you for for the nations and uh, that was a, a cool thing to see. Tony, tell us a little bit about your journey.
2: Yeah, so um, similar. I think there's about a five year window in my life where you know everything changed. I became a Christian in college. This is around 1997. Um, a year and a half later, roughly, Jim Shaddix came and preached in our chapel. And stayed and preached three nights in a row at our at our school, and I'd never sat under expositional preaching before. And when he got finished, I said, "That's what I want to do the rest of my life." And uh, in the process, started the process of going to seminary to uh, to study with Dr. Shattuck's. Uh, I wasn't even Southern Baptist. I didn't I didn't even know what distinguished one school from the other. I just knew I wanted to do that. And um, I got on a plane, went to school, and. Uh, in the process, so I had a little waiting time before I could get to school to finish my degree. We did something similar. We read through the whole Bible as a as a, uh, our campus ministry. And um, from and it was a two-week window. You would sign up from noon to about 8 p.m., 9 p.m. There was constant reading in the chapel of Scripture. And um, it was powerful. And when we got to the end of the Bible, um, just getting to Revelation, it's hard to miss the emphasis on the nations when you when you read the Bible. Um, I often say that the, the Bible has a missional emphasis because it has a messianic emphasis, or it has a messianic emphasis, therefore it has a missional emphasis, and you, you can't miss that when you when you read the Scripture. So that that began to really stir me up. Um, and then um, before going to right on the cusp of me going to New Orleans, uh, I started listening to John Piper, and Uh, later would do my dissertation on Piper. Uh, So I've listened to many sermons from Piper. Uh, Let the Nations Be Glad was our text on my very first mission trip, my second semester of seminary. uh, We went to Australia uh, during the Olympics to do uh, basically street evangelism. And we really did see the nations in one city, in in Sydney. And reading that book and being in that fellowship with those those brothers. We slept in a tent at a church for a, two weeks. It um, was, was just powerful. Um, from there, began to read, like David said, missionary biographies. And then just being around a, a local church um, that uh, we were all part of in New Orleans that was praying for people going to the nations. And uh, again, just seeing in the scriptures uh God's heart for the nations you don't really need a better motivator than that uh, is to to see it in in the text um so jim was talking about our our helping him i mean he was really the shaping influence uh because he was he was training us to get into the text and as we were getting into the text you uh you know the nations gets into you and uh
0: that that's how it all all started for me Well, you know, I've heard both of you guys say this. I mean, there's obviously you mentioned a number of things, you know, guys that you've listened to or read and some personal experiences. And I want us to talk some more about, you know, the whole idea of the influence of short term mission trips and stuff. But one of the common things that both of you are talking about is is the relationship between the word and creating that heart. You know, a lot of guys read the Bible and preach the Bible. But still miss that. Why? Why is that? What is it causes us as pastors, as preachers, uh, to read God's word and and even preach God's word, but but still not see some of those connections? Either one of you, Dave is the expert. Go for it. In handbells. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: don't know why I'm on this panel. Should be on a handbell panel. Um, <laughs> I think that's a great question because I I think it's true. I mean, there are uh, many people who faithfully teach and preach and listen to the Bible, but don't don't make the connection. And I think it's just uh, one. I think we just we need it to be taught, just like other things in Scripture. How to understand Scripture? I think we need to be taught because then once you're, I mean, it's. In a sense, a, a gracious act of God's Spirit and opening your eyes, you begin to see it everywhere. I mean, it's from Genesis 12, promise for the blessing to all the peoples, to fulfillment in Revelation chapter seven and five. Like it, and then it just becomes obvious. And God orchestrating all His movement among His people for the glory of His name among all peoples, Ezekiel 36. I mean, we could just go all over Scripture, uh, but I think. Uh, and we, we've we 've talked about this with i 've talked about this with many other pastors, and uh, once they kind of begin to look and and i don 't think it 's reading into it, but once they begin to see uh, then oh yeah, it is everywhere. The other thing I would say is, and I do think short term missions has part part of the is really helpful in this because if we 're not careful we 'll think the world looks like this I and mean, it 's just our tendency we just think the world looks like we just become very insulated and isolated. Um, and so, and that affects the way we read Scripture. We'll just kind of read Scripture through the lens of what we recognize here, as opposed to, sure, that's one of the things that short-term missions is so valuable for, because it opens our eyes. That's when pastors ask me, should I, should I be involved in short-term missions? I say, without question. Uh, and, you know, I'm not saying the Spirit's definitely leading you. You pray, but if, if it's, unless he says no, like go, because uh, it's going to open your eyes in all kinds of ways. They're going to affect the way you... Yeah, the way you pray
0: and the way you study the word. You know, I I, I was raised in, you know, in the Southern Baptist context in which we were very immersed in missions education programs. I mean, I remember, you know, programs we had that a lot of the folks sitting in this room tonight would have never heard of, like Sunbeams and Mission Friends and then RAs and GAs and... We learned, we studied about missions. You know, we had Baptist men, Baptist women, and you know, many of those organizations continue to exist, and we're very thankful for them. I grew up, you know, being a part of those, and being very aware of missions, and very aware of, of uh, you know, that there were lost people out there. Uh, but, but I, I don't, I don't ever remember being gripped with the 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 charge that. It was my responsibility other than knowing about them, you know, learning about them and, and giving to them. And so there, there's sometimes that disconnect of a, a, a lack of, uh, you know, understanding of the need for personal involvement in, you know, in
1: that. You know, it's interesting as you're saying that I think about in my own journey, uh, I think that disconnect was, was still there even. So, you know, I'm, I'm seeing this in the word, I'm seeing the world. Well, then I just immediately conclude, well, I've got to be overseas living among the nations. And so uh, I remember uh, Jerry Rankin, who was president of the IMB at the time, uh, came to New Orleans Seminary. He was preaching in chapel. I had an opportunity to take him to breakfast. And Heather and I, my wife and I, have been talking about... God's glory among the nations. Like, well, we need to go. There's this many people who haven't heard. This is a no-brainer. And so I said, well, I'm taking the IME president to breakfast tomorrow morning. I think I'm going to tell him we're ready to go. And she was like, all right, go for it. And so, uh, so I take him to breakfast. I share it with him my heart, just poured out on the table there with Dr. Rankin. And then he says. Uh, well, that's that's nice, David. And uh, and for about 60 seconds, he encouraged me. And then he said, and then for the rest of breakfast, he talked to me about the need for pastors to shepherd churches here for the spread of God's glory among the nations. And I was just totally confused. Uh, like I went back to Heather. She's like, "How to go?" I'm like, I, I think the president of the just just talked me out of going overseas. I, does he not want me? Like, what how did I... I don't, I don't understand. Um, but it was so... I mean, the Lord used that uh, to help me kind of... Because I do think we have this tendency... Yeah, people know about... I mean, Southern Baptists or church members beyond Southern Baptists. I mean, people know about missions, but they don't connect it with, this is my life. But the reality is... And, and, we, and we think, well, if you're passionate about God's glory in all nations, then you should be a missionary. Well, the Spirit of God wants the world for Christ, right? you got the Spirit of God in you well, then you want the world for Christ. Like, it's going to affect the way you pray. It's going to affect the way you give. It's going to affect a desire to go, whether it's short-term, mid-term, long-term, whatever it looks like. And then the Spirit will obviously direct accordingly. But the, a passion for the nations is not just for missionaries. I mean, and people will come to me now, and they'll say similar things. They'll be like, uh, I'm so passionate about leading people to Christ and so passionate about getting, uh, about the gospel going to the nations, so I think I'm supposed to be a missionary. And I'll say, well, actually, what you've just said qualifies you to be a christian like this is what it means you want to lead people to jesus well that's that's a disciple um so that's not special that's that's elementary basic you want the glory of christ among the nations then okay you have understood the purpose of why you are on the planet so but then being called to be a missionary, that's a whole other thing. I mean, maybe you are, but let's walk through that. And so that's what I'm hopeful. I think the more that's cultivated in the church, uh, that, that disconnect is just rooted out so that we see, we connect our lives with God's global purpose, every one of our lives with God's global purpose.
2: I was just going to add a similar story. Uh, it was the same time with David. We had missions week, three days of missions. Um, and I wore an African shirt. Uh, every day that week, and sat on the front row. I don't know if you remember that. And you're like, dude, is that your response? Uh, Why are you wearing this shirt? I wanted to go overseas so badly, and uh, I thought this was the week, man. You know, this was the week. I was dressed up for it and everything, uh, and it it didn't happen. And I, I really, I really feel like the Lord has made me a pastor to to mobilize, to to go when I can, and to lead a church to do it. Um, maybe one day I'll, I'll have a release to, to go, um, but I, I felt the same way. Um, and I think the Lord was teaching me during that time what David was talking about, and that is a missionary is an identity, uh, more than it is an activity. Like you're, uh, you, every Christian is a missionary by really by definition. To be a Christian is to be a little Christ, and Christ was a missionary. And I think that's the disconnect often. It's not that guys aren't teaching the Bible. This is a theological issue. You know, They may be teaching verse by verse, but they haven't taught theology. Because all missions is theological, and, and all theology is missional. And and, and you, you don't separate those two. And if we're not teaching people theologically, that you need to assume the posture of a missionary. Your identity is missionary. Now, how is it that you're going to make the gospel known among the nations? It may or may not be living overseas, but we, we first need to adopt that posture. Um, and that was what I had in my mind, it's it's one or the other, you know. And I think the church does it by saying, we've got a missions department, and then we got everybody else, you know. And we relegate the mission to a select few rather than, you know, we're all, you know, Matthew 28 people. The question is, what's your plan for doing that? Because we're all doing it, you know. Um, and for me, that plan was, to pastor a church and try to mobilize. Um, so that's what we're trying to do.
0: And that's a, a great place to, you know, maybe to, to to shift gears and turn toward, you know, what we've talked about, the, the primary topic being that is the preaching event. We've, we've needed to lay the groundwork, which, uh, you know, I think we've done just with missions awareness in the church and, you know, that, that mindset, that uh, you know, frame of mind, that heartbeat. Uh, Tony, you have been one of a number of voices in recent years uh, that have helped us with uh, the whole Christ centered preaching uh, thing. And, you know, it helps us think about the, the, you know, Christ from Genesis to Revelation, you know, whether we're thinking of being Christocentric or Christotelic or Christ Christ iconic, you know, there are lots of different, you know, slants on that. But just for us to think about. Christ in the whole Bible, and along with that, has been the the the, uh, the resurfacing, and I say it like that because we didn't invent these. Our generation didn't come up with Christ-centered preaching, or or, or the other issue that I'm introducing, that is biblical theology. Uh, but we've needed a revival of those things, and we're very grateful for for guys like you and others who are helping us with that. How, how do those issues fit in to this issue of educating a congregation uh, to, uh, to the need to get the gospel to the nations? Uh, talk to us about that a little bit. We could spend the whole
2: hour on it. Um, I, I think just helping people see the, the, the true story of the whole world, it, it's found in the Bible. And to, you know, use Brian Chappell's analogy, people need to study the Bible with a magnifying glass as well as with a, a wide-angle lens. And I think, um, you know, well-intended expositors taught us to study with a magnifying glass and to parse every word and do sentence diagramming, and all of which I do. And I don't want to downplay that for a second. But I think in that emphasis, um, somehow failed to encourage us to study the whole story of the text to see where our text stands in relation to Jesus and within the whole framework of the Bible. And I think by continuing to tell people and show people how Nehemiah is fitting to, to the storyline of the Bible, as you're teaching Nehemiah, you're, you're going to indirectly talk about missions because that's where it's all ending, you know, and, and the means to that end is, is the gospel getting to the nations. That's how we're going to see uh, the great uh, multitude that no man can number is because the gospel has went to the nation. So that, that storyline, I think, these two go together. I think redemptive historical preaching, Christ-centered preaching, and a missional focus should naturally go together. They don't always, which is puzzling, uh, just like the gospel-centered movement should lead to more evangelism. But for some reason, it doesn't seem like it is. Um, and so we've got to help make those connections, I think. Um, but they, they're there to make I mean, there are obvious connections to make. So um, I I think helping us to see uh, hermeneutically um, both a messianic and a missional uh, focus is running through the scriptures. And and these these go together because it's all culminating in in the sun. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, there are dangers to Christ-centered preaching. And again, we could tease these out for, for a long time. Um, but we're not advocating for anything silly like uh, wild allegory or fanciful typology. We're, we're looking for what are the themes that are embedded in the text. Uh, we're not making them up; they're just they're already there. And, and how can we? Uh, where did the where where did this theme start? Where does it end? And when you find where it starts and where it ends, you see the. You'll see an arc of the whole narrative. You'll see the arc of the whole story of the Bible. You may have a different theme that you're, you're considering in that arc, um, but those, those themes are there. And I think that will, that will, that will do really two things. It will, it will help catalyze, mobilize your people to mission, and it will do it in a way that um, is worshipful, in a way that is uh, grace-filled rather than just dropping guilt, let's go do missions, and, and I don't think that's bad all the time, but to, to give them a real gospel-generated, you know, Christ-informed, this is what we were made for, this is where the whole story is ending. Why don't you want to be on board with this? You know, that'll do that for your people, but it will also help the unbeliever who's coming in week in and week out that doesn't have a framework by which to understand the gospel. And that's the challenge in this generation of preaching to the unbeliever is because it is that <clears throat> we have to explain our assumptions now because people are not assuming what we're assuming about creation, about sin, about redemption and what happens when you die. And so what the redemptive story helps us do as we're teaching the Bible book by book is to provide that framework so that the unbeliever can can understand it so i think i think it's helping us do those two things mobilize and evangelize all at the same time when we're doing christocentric exposition
0: david i want you to jump in on that too you had the privilege of uh, sitting under your preaching for three years at the church at brook hills you were there for um, seven plus eight years i guess uh and I, I don't know that I've I've heard anyone um, be able to connect you know to God's big story as well as as you do. And I think it was very crucial in what God did, you know, with the church at Brook Hills. Just from a, a homiletical standpoint, and a preaching standpoint, how how do you you know how how did you arrive at that place uh, you know of of preaching in such a way that you were connecting everything to the larger story of redemption?
1: I think maybe part of it is my understanding of pastoral ministry is shepherding the people of God with the Word of God on the mission of God. And so every part there is obviously important. I mean, shepherding that role, the people of God with the Word of God. So this is obviously on the mission of God. So it's not just shepherding people with the Word of God for the sake of shepherding people with the Word of God. It's, there's a purpose here. The purpose is God's mission, God's glory in the earth among all peoples. Hallowed be your name in all the earth. This is what we want. This is what's driving our praying. This, this is what's driving our, our everything in the church. We want His name to be hallowed among all peoples. And so I want to shepherd these people so that God's name is hallowed among all peoples as a result of the way I'm shepherding these people. So then that just naturally leads. So I think for me that uh, approach to pastoral understanding of pastoral ministry then leads me when I'm preaching through the Word to say, I'm not just preaching this text just for the sake of preaching this text. I'm preaching this text because I want to equip, encourage, challenge a people who are on mission. And so... That means in application, in illustration, uh, even in argumentation. I mean, different facets of preaching. So I'm explaining the text. I want to be faithful to do that. Uh, but then as I'm applying it, as I'm illustrating it, then I'm applying it to a people who are on mission. Not just to people who are sitting in a building. Uh, who, uh, yeah, just for the sake of sitting in a building. Like, we're, all, we're people, we're, we're going and taking this gospel into Birmingham, into the nations. And so always making those connections. And the beauty is, it's when you're looking to do that application, then you start to see that in the explanation. You begin to see some of the things we talked about, uh, just seeing God's passion for His glory in all nations in Scripture. And so then it doesn't become a mission sermon once a year. Like, don't do that. Because that just I think that just fuels uh, an understanding of missions in the church that's uh, this compartmentalized over here. So one time a year we talk about that. I mean, show it every... I mean, you don't have to read into it make it happen. Like Just shepherd people on mission every week and tie the text, the Word of God, to the people of God's lives on the mission of God.
0: Do you think... Uh, and I'll let you respond to this first, and then I want to hear your response also, Tony. Um Length of text. I mean, we just lean, let's lean into to missional homiletics uh, a little bit more, a little bit uh, deeper. Uh, d- does length of text matter with that? Is it is it uh, is it easier for us to preach missionally God's big story by taking larger passages of Scripture or shorter passages of Scripture, or is there a need for both? And if so, why?
1: Mm, that's a good question. I uh, would like to hear your answer to that because
0: if anybody else expert. here is an expert. You're an expert. <laughs> so, uh,
1: uh, and asking questions. I'm an yeah. expert. Oh, uh, uh, so, and my first thought is no. I don't remember the question. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, does no, length no, no to what, the, what? does, does, does <laughs> length of tech matter, text matter? Like, does it? Because I think uh, okay. The, uh, there's one sense in which, yes, the the more wide-angle lens you take, the more it's easier to see the connections to Christ, the more easier it's to see, it is to see the connection to God's overarching plan to glorify His name among all nations. So there's a sense in which, yeah, I guess the broader you are, uh, the broader uh, look you take at the text, then maybe it's easier to make that connection. At the same time, I remember I remember you uh, talking about uh, John Marshall up at Second Baptist Springfield, and you're like, "Man, that guy! He just he was preaching. I mean, he he has shepherded a church on mission. Uh, I don't know how long. I mean, a long time. And uh, and I remember you talking about his preaching. You say, yeah, I mean, he just got up and preached on a word in the Great Commission, like therefore." And for the next 45 minutes, it was there for. And then next week, it was like, go. <laughs> it's like 45 minutes on go. And and then, and. 45 minutes on and. I mean, it was. So that, that's the other thing that comes to my mind. Like, well, I think he did it word by word. Uh, and obviously, that was. So, and and more. And I think uh, John Piper, for example, I mean, he's, I think, shepherded a church on mission, but he's done very. Uh, he goes through text pretty slowly compared to the way I've, I went through text pastorally. I'd, I would do larger chunks. He would be more breaking down word, phrase, and just stopping right there. But I think he was making that connection. So I think it... Uh, now, I'd go back to maybe the more wide-angle lens you take, it, it seems more natural, but I think it, it happens either one.
2: I would agree with David. I'm going to say no. Appreciate the question. Uh, I, you know i think the length of text is largely de- determined by the nature personality of the pastor so i do bigger chunks normally but i don't think that's what everybody should do all the time i think there is there are guys who want to turn over every stone in the text and i think every stone's important so that can be very profitable um, I like larger chunks for several reasons. I like to get through more books of the Bible over a period of time to expose the people to more genres and more, we kind of do a back and forth, Old and New Testament kind of rhythm. Um, not that, again, that there would be anything wrong with doing Romans for eight years. I just I just don't want to do it. Um, and... Um, but I think the guy who's doing the Romans like that—that that has a missional hermeneutic, a, a, a missional focus—can still do it week by week, connect it to the big story. I don't think you ha- it's a big chunk, you know, problem. Uh, so I, I think that's largely determined on on the nature of. Doctor Aiken does word by word. I, I'm edified every time I hear it. He he's connecting it to the grand narrative. He, he talks about he's missions. He's quoting you most of the
0: time. That's. Really, uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It seems like think? concentric circles is the image that comes to my mind, you know. And I think it's one of the things that was one of many things that was missing in my own preaching for a long time as a pastor. Is I, you know, I knew we needed to interpret every text in its context. So immediate context, you know, what's going on in the chapter or the chapters around it, and even why is this in this particular book. Uh, you know of the Bible, and maybe even you know where does it fit in this testament but I, I I think what I missed, and I think a lot of pastors miss sometimes is the need to go out at least one more concentric circle in where does this fit in the larger story of the Bible, and that 's one of the things that. I think we're, where we get the missional element of it that comes into play, maybe most vividly. I mean, not not at the, you know the others at the exclusion of it, but most vividly. Uh, and and so i I agree with both of you i I think there's a need for both you know that that we need a steady diet of both we need that variety that was in there, but the reason for it is we need to put every text in context beginning with its immediate context, but extending out to the you know the larger context as well. Um, you know, I'm I'm fascinated by, and I've always just been intrigued by Paul's exhortation to Timothy, as a pastor, to do the work of an evangelist. And I'm not convinced that that the only thing he was saying there was be a soul winner, uh, but uh, that he was he was telling him be be a biblical evangelist in the you know in the Ephesians four sense of. You know, evangelists and pastor teachers that are there to uh, edify the church, build the church up, equip the church to do the work of the ministry. So, and the three of us have had those discussions for about the the work of an evangelist in the local church, not just 10 suits and 10 sermons traveling around preaching revivals but the need for evangelists in the local church to do the kinds of things we're talking about and to to play a role in preaching so Timothy apparently wasn't necessarily the the he is the pastor teacher it seemed but he was he had the responsibility Paul said to do the work of an evangelist that included in the preaching of the word um, you know, equipping people and and motivating them and, and challenging them. Uh, let, let, let's go in, into the missional homiletic a little bit more, a little bit more specifically. You guys talk to us about what you do um, as as pastors, as preachers, uh, specifically in sermon making. Um, uh, and, and delivery uh, to be intentional. We've talked about the gospel message. We've talked about the word doing the work. Um, you know, homiletically, what kinds of things do you find yourself doing? Um, you know, to to help, uh, inspire, and motivate and educate people to uh, to missions. Now, Tony will start start with you.
2: Hard questions, man late for me. Um, I think, so, I mean, I'm going to back up a little bit. I think one of the things we're trying to do as pastors is, in leadership in general, is to create culture. Cause that, that's one of the ways I like to explain leadership is that leadership leaders create culture. And if you're not creating a col- culture, you're not leading. Though what we're trying to do in the local church is not get just a few people out on the mission field. We're trying to create a culture, a missional culture in the congregation. So how do you create culture? Sometimes you've got to change the culture. So how do you lead change in, in the culture? And for me, I would just boil it down to three things. You lead by the word, you lead by example, and you lead with a simple, executable plan. And I think all of those are important. We've talked about the word already, but it, it needs to start from there. And that involves teaching theology, teaching proper anthropology, epistemology, how, how we come to know truth. These fundamental assumptions are deep. And if people, some people will affirm them verbally, but they don't really believe a human beings created in the image of God. You know, not Middle Easterners, Americans maybe, you know. They, they, they may not really, really, really believe in sin, and therefore everybody needs the gospel. They may say they do. And those assumptions, you've got to keep hammering them. You've got, because it all starts there, deep within the heart. Um, sometimes we struggle to believe our own uh, assumptions that we've affirmed. So I think as a pastor, that's one intentional movement, is don't ever get tired of teaching the essentials of the gospel, um, because we need it, and people need to keep hearing it over and over. The issue of time and space, what happens when you die? Do they really, 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 really believe in hell? I mean, that will affect things, you know? Uh, Do they really believe that our life really is short? And, And there's an urgency to the mission. We have to challenge all of those all the time. Uh, when it comes to application in the sermon. So that's the word piece. And an example, I just think it's obvious, but if we're not embodying what we're teaching, there's going to be a disconnect. Uh, Our our lives have to illustrate our words. Um, Otherwise, we're just like a professional Bible teacher. Uh, we We want to be, you know, Paul tells Timothy, set an example for the believers. Leadership is not lordship. It's following Jesus and having people come with you. So we need to be leading it personally in some sense. That doesn't mean, again, we're all moving overseas. But there has to be a tangible, visible sign that you're involved in. You're sitting under your own preaching. And, and you're being moved by this. Um, I said this earlier in a class. I think this is one reason Francis Chan, his preaching was has been so impactful to people. It's not because rhetorically he was the best. <laughs> like you can't imitate him. He's a guy who wrestles over the text in front of people because he sees it coming to bear on his own life. That example is powerful. That is a powerful persuasive tool for people to see how the word is is affecting you, convicting you. Um, So word example and then an executable plan, which the prophet types often struggle with. But if we don't give people an easy on-ramp to where they can execute mission, they're going to get frustrated and they 're going to tune us out, and I think we need plans that are lofty for some and very easy and simple for for others. You know you start small uh, and then you know work your work your way up um, so we just we just need on ramps um, I love david 's most recent you know kind of uh, uh, mantra of uh, we want uh, it was great, David. I should remember it. Limitless missionary, multiple pathways, and, and limitless.
1: Help me. Is that what it was? Yeah, limitless missionary teams, making yeah. disciples, yeah. multiplying churches.
2: But through multiple pathways. You yeah. know, about the college student, the business person. That type of language, to drip it in your sermons, that there are multiple ways. Maybe I said that.
0: Did I say it?
1: No, no, no. I definitely you said I it. Definitely, okay. definitely.
0: Uh, but you get what I'm saying. I, I, and I think something's with my preaching. And all the and people come up to me and say, man, I love what you said. What was it you said? <laughs> yeah, and you're too old to
2: remember what you said. That's very hard. Uh, I'm just kidding. So I don't know if that, if that got to it, but that, that, that paradigm has helped me tremendously, and I think it applies to uh, getting the gospel to the nations. I use it a lot to talk about orphan care, um, other needs in your church. What kind of culture are you trying to create? And the pulpit is a powerful means of creating culture. So we, we're not just you know, teaching the Bible and filling in blanks. We're leading from the pulpit. And we're creating a culture in, in the congregation. Uh, we've got the best tool known to man called the Bible. Um, and the Word and the Spirit does most of that work of stirring people up. But I think we've got to embody it. And we've got to give some, some ways for people to go do it. Because once they taste it, we've mentioned short-term mission trips or whatever it is. Then the Lord begins to really stir people up and create
0: the culture for us. David, as part of your introduction and the chapel message today, um, you showed a video clip, and uh, you know, forever ingrained in my mind will be that last image on that video clip of a ch- uh, clip of a child, you know, laying face down on the beach. Um, how how do, how do you? How do you see the role of things like that—images, uh, pictures of places different from where we are—in uh, in helping congregations through the preaching event really get their, you know, get, get get awareness of of the need to get the gospel of the nations?
1: I think it's. I think those things are very helpful tools when used well. Um, and we've mentioned at numerous points the value of of short-term missions in opening people's eyes to the world around us doesn't look like the world right in front of us. So to to any extent, we can help people do that even in the gathering of the church. That's a valuable thing to lift their eyes beyond this picture and see the bigger picture. And, And so, you know, Videos or, or illustrations are really helpful toward that end the The thing is and I think this combines both what you were talking about and and that, that issue you bring up jim like i I think uh, it starts not in sermon preparation but in personal devotion. Like, are you praying for unreached peoples specifically? On a daily basis, and if you're not, then trying to fit that into CERN preparation is just going to be manufacturing So I mean, It's and it's not going to it's not going to be natural. The connections, are, but if you're praying, I mean, if every day you're pulling up an IMB app or Joshua Project app and you're just okay, I'm praying for this people group today, uh, then when you get to CERN prep time, I mean, you, you've got that people group in your head, on your heart. It's going to affect the way you you think you're going to be looking for connections in a way that's driven by personal devotion. Same way, giving. like Are you personally giving for the spread of the gospel of the nations? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Um, so your heart's not going to be in the glory of God going to the nations. You're not giving toward that. So start there. When you start to put treasure there, then uh, where your heart goes, your, your mind will follow in that sense and and again we've talked about going but to be face to face with people who've never heard the gospel and to have an opportunity to share it with them for the first time or to to serve people brothers and sisters in Christ who are living in desperate poverty i you don't come back from that and preach the same it affects the way you preach. And now you don't find yourself trying to manufacture something in the sermon prep time. It's just happening. You're praying, you're giving, you're going in these ways, and now it's just happening. So don't be surprised if it's not happening when it's disconnected from that kind of personal devotion. So start there, and then uh, I really believe those connections will start to happen naturally. There's certainly an intentionality you want to think through, um, Uh, and application illustration. But again, those things, you'll have a whole pool of illustrations. And you come into the pulpit and you prayed for seven different unreached people groups that week and you've got exposed to, I mean, all it takes is 30 seconds, but you've gotten exposed to seven different types of people and you realize there's zero Christians among these people. So that's going to affect your pastoral prayer on Sunday, I think. Um, So so if you're not paying attention to the Syrian refugee crisis, then you're not going to Lead your people to pray or think about it, but if you're watching CNN or on and you're keeping in touch with the news, I mean my uh, my whole perspective on uh, life and leadership changed, particularly when I stepped into this role, um, because now every morning when I wake up and look on the app that I get world news on. And I see all these events going on in the world. I realize, I mean, people I'm leading are near most all these places where this bombing happened or this is going on. And uh, and so if there's some kind of regular exposure to that, then it's going to affect our preaching when it comes to illustrations and pointing people to things. If we're living in an insulated, isolated world where all we see is right around us, then we're going to shepherd our people to do the exact same.
0: You you, you mentioned going. Um, what would you say to pastors and Tony, you speak into this, too, because I know both of you brothers make it a regular practice of being overseas. How, how would you encourage pastors in that, um, uh, in, in in working that into their ministries, planning for that? And, and I'm not just talking about the guys that are in mega churches and, you know, the budget is there to do all that. But, you know, single-staff churches... Um, how, 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 do, how do guys need to plan? How can they plan? How can they prepare to 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 be to get overseas to get in some of these places where they're able to bring that experience back into their preaching to their people?
1: Very practically, I would just you know we will make time for what we prioritize, uh, and so uh, and I know it's 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 difficult, different circumstances present different challenges but my high encouragement would be to set aside and we challenged every member in our church every week to every year to consider uh consider spending two percent of your year this year uh which is about a week of your time in some other context in the world and it'll radically transform the other 98 percent of your life you live here so i'd give the same challenge certainly to any pastor just i mean look for and Ask God to provide, whether it's financially or in family or whatever, to make that possible. Um, to, to be able, and if not every year, just regularly, um, but to make that possible. And if you need help, I mean, short term missions done right is going to be connected to long term disciple making processes there, and it's going to be part of a long term disciple making process in the church. So that's, that's another thing. I mean, how do you shepherd a church to be on mission in the world? Well, sometimes it's, I mean, there's air war and ground war. Yes, you preach, you do all the things we're talking about, but on a ground war level, you just take a couple people with you and show them the nations. And, and, uh, and so you can call up the IMB right now and say, hey, we want to go on a short-term mission trip somewhere, and uh, we've got areas to grow in this, but we'll help make an area. This is how i mean. I was a seminary professor in New Orleans serving on staff at a small church, and I called up the IMB. I said, uh, I just want to go somewhere where they've never heard the gospel. Can you help me? And they're like, we can help you. And so they connected me and took a group of people to India. And so uh, there, there are ways that it just practically, call us up, We'll help make some connections uh, to, to help you do that. We've got training we're developing for that. But I would just highly encourage making that a priority. Um, because we, we can preach it. It's very important to preach it. But it's a whole other thing to help people walk the journey, provide that executable plan, I think is what you call it, but those steps.
2: And uh, a lot of this, I think, would be on the front end. So if you were being interviewed for a church, for example, I would just make this part of, hey, I want two weeks a year you know, to be on, 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 among the nations. Um, I'm willing to take a cut in salary, you know, or whatever. But I want—I want—that's a priority. Uh, so I would negotiate that up front if you have that opportunity. Um, and then I, I experienced a joy at so I, the church I was in before I moved here in Mississippi was a very, very large church, and uh, they didn't go on a lot of trips. You know, I think they had a trip a year to Honduras. Huge budget, um, great church, great people. They wanted to do mission, I think, uh, because once we start I preached the book of Acts. And it just stirred people up, and people got to go for the first time that had never been among the nations. We took a trip to Nigeria, and I took doctors and vets and catfish farmers. And my whole thing was to them, whatever you're doing here, normally, third world countries need it over there. So take what you're already doing. Like leverage your vocation for the nation's. Uh, and And do it with a gospel intentionality as we go over there, um, and it was awesome just to see these guys i there were a guy got images of guys under a tree in Africa to, all with a piece of paper and pencil trying to teach catfish farmers how to make a profit uh, uh, they 're getting their feed from uh, England uh, for whatever reason and they' just they weren 't making any money. And, but in the discussion about livelihood and sustainability, there's obviously gospel conversations going on with these guys. Jay Humphreys, who's sitting right here, we just sent him uh, over to uh, Africa and to teach pig farmers how to raise uh, pigs and orphans, how to, how to raise pigs. And in going to, to do what he's done, he's been a pig farmer his whole life, uh, to teach guys how to, how to make a living uh, raising pigs and preach the gospel. It's not just for you know uh, preachers overseas. Like like uh, we're holistic beings, and to to try to catalyze people for that. And so you want to go overseas not just because you want to go overseas as a pastor. You want to take guys with you as as disciple making, and you want to, them to learn how to use their gifts for the good of the world. Um, so I would I would sell it like that. It's not just about me wanting to go over there to you know wherever. But but I want to I want this is part of disciple making. Uh, of my
0: people. And it, is there, are there ways that you've taken that that kind of mobilization of people in your congregation as well as yourself, and then incorporated that into your preaching when you come back? How does that look? Is, right. that, is it, you know, I mean, testimonies yeah. or just illustrations, or how are some of the ways that you that those two things come together?
2: Yeah, obviously, illustrations, uh, get back from Nigeria, we were there for, you know, ten days or so, and my heart was just full, I was tired, but these guys, we, I mean, there's no TV, there's nothing, so you work all day, you're doing your mission, and you're under a tree at night with the brothers that you normally aren't with as, as a pastor, and it's just you and them at night, talking, praying, and your heart's full, so naturally that, that, that spills over. Uh, so that's your introduction, uh you know a little flavor of that, perhaps, or it's drip later in the sermon uh and then again, those those seeds just begin to, to you start seeing them flourish, um, video clips that we would send back um, to uh to our folks blogs uh there's a lot of stuff that we could talk about outside of the pulpit that help to supplement our preaching. Uh, like like video and 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 blog and sermon discussions and small group, all of those are also important for creating culture
0: um, so uh, you want to think through all of that yeah, It seems that seeding a congregation if I use that term with people that are experiencing that too we don 't think about. The the preaching event being a communal event, you know, near enough, uh, most of the time we're just seeing it as a, you know, a one-way thing. A guy's up here talking and he's doing the preaching as opposed to the, the congregation being a part of that. And we think missionally, you know, when, when you, you, you take Jay or you take somebody else and you've got people that have experienced these things... And and then they come back, and in their small groups or Sunday school classes, they're talking about that stuff. We're not seeing that as part of the preaching event, but then when you get up and you're preaching and you're making connections to the gospel and the nations, people have heard them talking about that, and it's easier for them to receive that and, and put those things together. David, talk about some of the things you did at, at Brook Hills, uh, you know, that homiletically uh, uh illustration wise uh interview video type what kinds of things did you try to think about as a preacher to 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 promote awareness motivation encouragement challenge
1: you know i uh i, I had to laugh a little bit just thinking about it I mean, whenever i i'd go overseas two or three times a year and whenever i'd come back Everybody kinda of be braced, like, Oh no, what's happening? What's coming? Radical version five, like <laughs> uh so everybody would kinda of be on edge, be like, Calm down, but all right, we're doing some massive change over here. So, uh, I mean, that, that just kind of flowed. Uh, other things that would be more regular are uh, giving people an opportunity. So you're not going to go on. Hopefully there are people that are going overseas without you as well. And so giving them opportunity to share, interviewing them. We would interview people on stage. What's going on in this part of the world? Uh, how can we be praying? I mean, it's just a quick few minutes that just, again, it's just a, a time in a worship gathering. Where we're lifting our eyes to the world. Um, where we would have intentional times in prayer for people who've gone out from the church, either on short-term mission or who are now living overseas. We'd have intentional times or weeks of prayer. We'd have days of prayer and fasting for them. So that was, again, helping uh, yeah, lift our eyes to the world. Uh, we would talk about areas where we're, we're starting to have a focus in this area uh, in the world. So we would have a, a prayer time where we're educating people in that area of the world. Um, there would be times where I would just walk through Operation World, uh, and, uh, Operation World's a great, uh, prayer guide just for the nations. You go through January 1 to December 31 and you'll pray through every nation in the world. And uh, and so I would expose people to how they could use that in their own prayer times. Um, so we would occasionally uh, have uh, Skype in um, from people who are serving in different parts of the world. Uh, we'd have videos from them that we would show. Uh, there's just all kinds of, of avenues through which it doesn't have to be even just in the preaching event. So yes, illustration and application there but also in, in the way we're leading our people to pray and just looking for how can, I mean, are you, don't be surprised when the, when the church doesn't, their heart is not beating for the nations if we're not showing them the nations in very intentional ways uh, like this. And the beauty is once that starts to happen, the spirit starts doing all kinds of different things and then it becomes a problem in a good way. Because then everybody's like, well, I want to go here. I want to go there. I want to do this. And it's like, okay. And we <laughs> we gave that 2% challenge. And uh, I invited, okay, if you're willing to take this challenge, I want to invite you to come down to the front. Well, that was... Not a good move. I mean, everybody came down to the front. I mean, the poor ten people who were left sitting there, like, they were guests, or they hated or they hated the nations. Like, it was like, well, let's do that. But, uh, so, like, all of a sudden, all these people wanted to go, and it was a mess. Like, well, how do we help them go? I don't know. Anybody thought of that? Well, no, I just preached. like. Uh, so what do we do now? And it, it was a mess. It was a total mess. But it was, a, in the end, a good mess. Uh, but uh, anyway, so I don't know why I got off on that. But uh, I just think the more we, uh, we we put it before people and we built toward that, then we give them the opportunity. I think they're going to respond. When the word's clear, and uh, I, I say that. There's in every one of the churches represented in this room different levels of resistance to mission. And so I say they're going to respond. Uh, some churches will respond quicker than others. That's it's just reality and mysterious why this church is going for it, why that church is not. I would just encourage faithfulness. You know, But I was talking uh, one day with a pastor who's been at one church for 25, 30 years. Not a huge church. Uh, but he's been in this church faithfully, and he has shepherded this church or mission. This church, though not huge, has sent out many people all around the world. That's how I knew of this pastor, just because his reputation of shepherding this church for the nations. And it was like yeah, he'd been there 25 years, and he said, "David, this has been the hardest year yet. The church is just resistant on this level and that level." And I was so discouraged by that. I thought, "Oh, 25 years." It doesn't get any easier, uh, but then that's where I just realized the foolishness of my own thinking that it was going to get easier. Like as long as we're pressing forward to get the gospel to people who've never heard it, it's not going to be easy. It that's never going to be easy. Um, but be sure of this. So this is uh, I've just been in Genesis recently. And I've been reminded. I mean, from the beginning, God's plan, His purpose, has been to get. His gospel, make his glory known among all nations. So when we're aligned with that purpose, we're assured the blessing of God. Ultimately assured the blessing of God. He's behind this. He's totally behind this. And so we give ourselves to it. We're assured his blessing. Now the way that plays out in fruitfulness is under the sovereign operation of his spirit. But faithfulness, confident that he's going to bless toward that end.
0: Last question. So I'm a member of y'all's churches. Not really a member of two churches, but we're <laughs> pretending right and I listen to you preach you know Sunday after Sunday, and you do the things you're talking about you make the connection to to God's story, you show me Christ and you you reinforce you know with whether it be illustrations or other ways to you know to make me aware of the nations and and you, you do that week after week. And I say that's all we ever talk about here. That's all we ever hear about here. Every time he preaches, that's what he's talking about. How do you respond to that?
1: You've been talking to some members of the Church of Brook Hills, haven't you? <laughs> yeah.
0: I used to say it at Brook Hills. I just said no. <laughs>
1: Well, Jim, last time you said that to me, Uh, here's how I respond. You go ahead, man.
2: Yeah, that that definitely happens, man. Gosh. I take comfort in uh, Paul's words to Timothy in many places, but I think about the famous preach the word text, how he says we, we preach with complete patience. I think that's the hardest part in that whole challenge is to realize sanctification is a slow process it's a slow process i mean just look at ourselves and realize it's a slow process um we should probably adjust our expectations and be happy they came back you know from last week's uh, train wreck of a sermon and uh to to um love them be patient with them not everybody's going to be on board immediately and um so I've had to learn that in pastoral preaching, you know. Uh, if you come out of an, a revivalistic culture or um, even youth camp culture, it's where I cut my teeth preaching. We want immediate responses. If we don't see it immediately, we're discouraged. We're evaluating a lot of stuff on visible things we can count. But much of pastoral ministry is invisible and it's, it's a long haul. It's it's a marathon. And um, so you almost have to expect this. So that's, I don't have a, you know, every criticism is going to be different, so it's going to require different counsel to that person. But generally speaking, you just have to expect that type of response because they're sheep. And uh, the work of pastoring is, is loving them through it. Um, and they're probably resisting against, Conviction—they're probably resisting against God's messing with their idols, you know—and we don't respond well when our idols are confronted. Um, so we have to expect restlessness when sin is confronted, and anger. I mean, the, the the word is always doing something, and it's not always the response we would love to see, but it's going to do something. It's it's creating some kind of effect. Um, so you have to have that expectation of. Uh, of negativity, um, and and what I would probably say in a lot of cases is my emphasis on the nations is an expression of love for you. Like the reason, one of the things I loved about David's sermon today, it it was so it was so uh, helpful for me, <clears throat> was when he said, "We don't understand the Syrian refugee crisis because." We, we think about ourselves. America's turned this discussion into how about ourselves. And I was convicted about, not that I've been really concerned about what the politicians are saying about it, but I had not thought about that crisis enough. And I thought, it's because I'm thinking too much about myself. And getting attention off of myself into that problem was good for my soul. And it's, it's good for our people's soul. To stop thinking about themselves, and one of the ways we love our people is to get their eyes off of themselves and <clears throat> I would probably say something like that in some cases is it 's not because i don 't like you it 's not because i don 't have anything else to say but I, you really need this for your own good like this is an expression of my my love for you is you weren 't made to be inwardly focused you 're made for glory you 're made for a mission that outlasts the world you know um, and I want you to be on that. And that's why I keep talking about it.
1: I uh so when when not if someone were to say that to me. When people have said that to me. Uh and when people might say that to you, my encouragement would be on one hand, uh be encouraged. Like it's getting out there. God's passion for his glory in all nations is being heard. So that's that's good. Uh, don't be discouraged. Oh, I got to dial back. Right. There's 2.8 billion people in the world right now who have little to no access to the gospel. We've not gone too far in talking about getting the gospel to nations. Like, we're not anywhere near that extreme. So, so be encouraged. Uh, and then on the other hand, be challenged, because I I do think most conversations I've had like this have come about because there's something going on in someone's life where their heart needs some shepherding. There's growth. There's struggle. There's growth that needs to happen. There's struggle that is happening. There's maybe unconfessed sin in a totally different way. It may be just hurt. I'm walking through this and this and this and this and I just can't take this. And so... To be challenged to look at what's going on in this person's life, and to ask the question: Am I shepherding this person well? Um, I think what you said about patience is such a huge word. I think that was my biggest struggle in pastoral ministry was balancing the urgency of the mission with patience and shepherding people on that mission. Uh, You can't just pick people up and throw them overseas like you. Uh, You got to be. And anytime I'm not patient, it's just a, a picture of pride in my own heart because the Lord has been so patient with me. I mean, we started talking about our journeys, like, I didn't come to conclusions about God's going in all nations overnight, like, that was years. So why should I expect that to happen? Because I preached a killer sermon, right? It's not going to happen just like that. It's going to happen over time. And so patience and shepherding people on that mission, and that's where, so what I would say in response is, I hear you saying that you don't feel loved and cared for very well, um... And I want I want to know, are there ways that you can be better loved and cared for as a member of this church? And let's talk about that. And I want you to know that I want to love you, care for you, this church. But not just for the sake of this church, but because we together want people who have never heard of that love to be loved and cared for too. So we're going to keep talking about them. But I want to make sure that in talking about them, we don't bypass each other as well so let's walk through what's going on in your life and use that as a pastoral opportunity and walk through what's going on in their life and order and then but never disconnecting it from that still doesn't mean we're we're taking this out so it's not pull the brakes on that it's push the gas pedal a little more pastorally
0: on what's needed here David and Tony I you know I, I want to say thanks for again uh, for carving out the time to do this and for this conversation but maybe even more so just uh, grateful for God's grace in your life. thank you for preaching well thank you for shepherding well and thanks for for giving us some you know, uh, good models for uh, thinking about how we we mobilize our people you know through our preaching would you join me in thanking these guys for the All right, we're going to take uh let me let me just tell you a couple of uh, of uh ground rules here. We want to uh, give you an opportunity to answer some uh, answer. Well, they may have some questions for you <laughs> to for you to ask some questions of these guys. We've got about 15 minutes. And I do want to tell you, uh, Dr. Platt has another preaching engagement tonight on a college campus, and we're praying for him as he preaches down at NC State tonight. So at 8 o'clock, he's got to walk out of here and and, and, and be headed there, so he's not going to be able to have the, uh, the opportunity to be able to hang around. So just want you to be aware of that. But. Got another 15 minutes with both of these guys. This is your time. Uh, we've got a microphone uh, to to bring. If you will uh, raise your hand. If you got a question, stand up and uh, let us get the microphone to you so that uh, everybody can hear and uh, give you an opportunity to pick their brains. Okay? Question? Somebody? All right, back there in the back, uh, Gary. Yeah, I have a question. Um,
3: so how? Like a pastor or like a local church, like how does a church leverage – this is a very specific question, and I'm sorry ahead of time. How does a church leverage
1: um, like short-term missions for a missional leader development like in the African-American community? Because I saw the stat a few years ago um, that there were uh, 4,900 missionaries overseas with the IMB, um, but of that 4,900, 0.006% of them were African-American.
3: Um, And the percentage of African-Americans in the SBC is, I believe, at 6.85. So, like, how do you use short-term missions to kind of change that culture
1: in, like, the African-American community? I think that is a great question. Uh, I would be the first to say I'm uh, having uh, meetings with a variety of different African-American pastors right now to say how can we reverse that trend. I mean, that trend. I mean, it's just – and it's not even just SBC. It's broader. It's not – it's – Oh, I'm just praying that the Lord will change that. And so how do we go about changing that? I I think short-term missions is huge. I think uh, all the levels we've talked about, and so I want to think through how is this being done or not done in African-American churches. So missions education, training... Uh, and then those short-term opportunities. Uh, the pastors, a few pastors that I've met with recently, are pastors who just got back from short-term mission trips, and they were saying, "Oh, this was huge. It opened my eyes in a whole new way uh, that I want my people's eyes open to do." And so then we've got to think through. Now, this this uh, pastor is in a uh, that I'm thinking of specifically is in an uh, inner-city context. Lower income context that is going to be really challenging to you know to raise money to go on trips to Africa for tons of people um, so this is where we and SBC want to work together to think through uh, reproducible ways that we can help one another be involved in mission and uh, and to help make those connections, but also again to use all the resources at our disposal to bring the picture of the nations into worship gatherings and, uh, and to help make those connections and to show examples of how uh, African American brothers and sisters are doing this in different ways on the field. So that it's not just, uh, it's not just, you know, the William Carey and Adam Arm Judson that we're lifting up, but it's the George. Wall- I mean, there's all kinds of different people that we can be lifting up, and, and, as well, and we want to lift up more models of what does it look like for African American brothers and sisters. We want to do this with our Asian American uh, brothers and sisters too, Hispanic brothers and sisters. Uh, there's just so much room to grow in this area, so that we just totally debunk the idea that, um, yeah, that that missions is a Western white endeavor to change the world which it's definitively well from the book of Acts was not designed to do so we need, we've got to make some changes along those lines do you know do you know Shaq the guy yeah. that asked a question we met just uh, we, we shook hands just a minute ago but we've met at some point Georgia you know? grad man. yeah right. mm-hmm. I, we've met at some point God, we got yeah. to do
0: this whole thing and I didn't even we hadn't even talked about SEC football and who won right. the SEC next the SEC. question we got a question yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> I mean, right. hey, Dr. Platt. When I was a freshman at UGA, go dogs,
2: um, Good Hogs! I was to, to a <laughs> radical, radical sermons, and it really helped mobilize me um, personally. But since uh, recently, there's been different books that have come out about like ordinary or worldly saints, and kind of the a little bit of a pushback. That's actually some, similar to the language you used earlier about this is basic. Everybody should be doing this. It's not something that's really
3: radical. It's something that everybody should be doing. So do you think that language is I mean you still use that language obviously, um but is it just a semantic difference or is there or a personality
2: difference or is there a real uh vision difference in, in using that language and to mobilize and maybe wake people up um to
1: how they should be living?
0: I remember asking you that same question. You remember us talking yeah. about this.
1: I think we've all had conversations. Tony and I have had conversations about this because I don't, I don't see this uh, as, uh, yeah, necessarily. I mean, maybe I'm not. I don't know other people's hearts, but I don't perceive it as pushback on this or that. As more as it is, uh, it's perspective. I think part of it is semantics in one sense. So here's the way I would describe it. Uh, if we're if we're following the Jesus of the Bible and doing what He said uh, to do, what He's called us to do, then our lives are going to look very radical in this world. They're not going to look ordinary. But is that going to be ordinary followers of Christ? Well, yes. So it's kind of a different perspective how that is perceived. And there's different things like, uh, I mean, is it radical to love your wife? Well, no, I guess not. Is it radical to love your wife in such a way that you lay down your life for her in the way that Jesus laid down his life on a cross? Well, I think that's gonna look pretty radical in the world. So there's a sense in which you can answer that question. Yes, it's radical, no, it's not radical. So I, I think again scripture obviously is our is our big help. I'm so thankful. There's not a title on scripture besides Bible, like it just is. So so we can continually point people back to that. But I think we wanna do that in a way that we don't devalue other part. So we, we realize, yes, radical obedience. I think that's an appropriate term to describe. If anyone would come after me, he must die to himself, take up an instrument of death and crucifixion and follow me. That sounds pretty radical. At the same time, faithful obedience day in and day out. There's an ordinary level to that. And I think our, our preaching, pastoral ministry, and lives need to reflect both. I could maybe just add to that while you
2: run over there, is a lot of people ask that question about my book. Is it a response to David's book? And they, they only ask that if they haven't read my book. Um, that, that proves they haven't read the book. Uh, in fact, David said ordinary is a good application of radical. And David's sermon on Saturday from Romans 16, if you do go that direction, is about how God uses ordinary people in this radical mission. And um, that's basically, the book is about ordinary people. It's not about living an ordinary life as much as it is who, who is it that God uses to get the gospel to the nations? Who is it that God uses to care for the orphan, to plant churches, and so on? He is ordinary people, so I just want to add that.
3: So this is kind of a two-part question from one of Tony's exhortations. Uh, the question would be, do you guys ever feel like it's a disadvantage or hindrance to be a mission's Mobilizing pastor who hasn't lived overseas. I, I don't think you guys have lived overseas long term, at any point. So correct me if I'm wrong. And then forty se-
2: days felt like a long time in Ukraine, but that's as far as I've, as long as I've been, brother. Yeah.
3: <laughs> and then kind of the second part is so then in everyday practices, what are some of your best practices to get in evangelism and discipleship? You guys are all busy, you know pastoring professoring imb presidenting it up um so yeah just do you ever feel like that's a disadvantage or a hindrance and then what are some everyday practices that you guys find to to work those into being a model for your people um and not just telling them they should do it
1: uh on the uh on the first i would say uh, i think some people might perceive that as lack of credibility or uh Yeah, how can you speak to that? But I, I would always say in preaching, just because uh, I've not done something doesn't mean I can't preach on it. So I I can think of so many different illustrations of that. Like, yeah, Yeah, drunkenness. Yeah, what's that? Single single got to go to a wedding. Drunkenness. I mean, there's just all kinds of things that. uh, So constantly point the authority is the word. Um, I do think though, along those lines, and to go back to yeah, one of Tony's exhortations is that still that. Emulation and imitation of, of being involved in going. And I would say, add to that an authentic, genuine openness to I'm willing to go. Like, I'm not just saying that, but people can, people can see it in you. Like, this is authentic. He's willing to go, his family is willing to go. Uh, I think there's, I don't think people at Brook Hills question that. I think I mean, when I told him I was leaving to go do this, and they were like, "Well," and our, one of our elders' first lines was, "On a scale of one to ten, one to ten, my shock level is a one." So uh, and so they were just kind of waiting for that. So uh, anyway, I think that's that's what's most important. And uh, um, yeah, so.
2: yeah, that, that I think what's important is that you're caring about it, not so much how how it's been fleshed out. But like when, even when David was talking about praying a while ago, like if a pastor's doing that, like. That he cares about the nations, and I think that's the part that's huge. Um, just talking about it, but not embodying any sense of burden, is a problem. You know,
0: I would bring it back to where both of you started this, and maybe this is a great place for us to, you know, to end this. If, if the word, and you, you talked about this in class today, David, too, but uh, if the word is actually what does the work. And as the supernatural life-changing power, it, it's not our experiences. And so while those things are supportive and illustrative and uh, you know, indicative of what the word is saying, uh, it's still the word that brings about life-changing power, not whether we have experienced that uh, or not. Uh, thanks, guys, and thank you. I wish we had uh, more time for a lot more questions. That's a good conversation. I, I wanted to stop just a minute early because I would like for us to pray, and I'd like for us to pray specifically for you tonight as you preach uh, and have the opportunity to share the gospel on one of our college campuses here. Uh, so uh, let's bow together. Father, we bless you and we give you great praise uh, You and you alone are worthy of our praise, Uh, Lord. You uh, are due all glory and honor and power, because you've created all things and by your will they existed and were created. We owe you everything, and the reason for our existence is you. The reason for our ministries is you. And uh, Lord, we when we think about this responsibility to take the gospel to the nations, we're humbled it it blows our minds god that you've you've ordained this to be plan a with no plan b that people like us would would do whatever we can possibly do by your grace to get this good news to the nations uh and and while we're blown away by it we we thank you for it and we thank you for trusting us with it thank you for these brothers uh the stewardship um lord that they exemplify uh, the impact they've had on all of our lives and we pray you'd multiply their ministries we pray for our brother david tonight especially as he goes to preach uh, we pray your gospel truly be what you say it is the power of god and to salvation and pray that uh, through the proclamation of the gospel you would illuminate minds and you would stir hearts and you would change wills god we're keenly aware that college campuses are crucial places God, the nations have come uh, to the campuses in this country, and students in those campuses will go back to the nations. Uh, and so we we know this is huge. So Lord, fill him with Your Spirit tonight. Cause Your Word to go forth clearly, powerfully. Uh, and God, we pray You'd save people tonight. I pray You'd strengthen believers tonight. Uh, that it might be to the end uh, that your name would be glorified Uh, in Jesus' precious name. Amen.